Greetings, citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm here with Maureen Ellsbury and Shane Hurd, and we are happy you're hanging out with us today. We have another episode of History Channel's dramatic series, Project Blue Book, to talk about today. But first, just a couple quick announcements here. Maureen and I are presenting a panel at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, Washington, on Friday, March 15th, titled Real Life X-Files, Strange Stories of Real Paranormal Investigations. Emerald City Comic Con runs March 14th through the 17th at the Washington State Convention Center. For more information about the event and to buy tickets, go to emeraldcitycomiccon.com. I don't know about you, Maureen, but I'm getting pretty excited for this event. Yeah, I'm pumped. I've never spoken in my hometown, so I'm excited for that. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, Emerald City Con- Comic Con, uh, I've been once or twice as as press. Okay. So this will be my first time as a guest. And it usually sells out right away and wow. it hasn't yet. And I wonder if it's because we're on the schedule. Yeah, that might be. <laughs> that might be. We might have ruined Emerald City Comic Con. <laughs> no, but they've expanded uh, and it's going to be a big event. I think it's uh, usually around over 100,000 people that are there. So hopefully yeah. a few people are interested in the strange. Yeah, I hope so, too. I think they will be. Um, I'm super excited. It's one of the the big Comic-Con events that I've always wanted to go to and I've never been. So I'm excited. I get to experience it with you and we get to share our, our strange with everybody there. So that's going to be super fun. Then on June 21st through the 23rd, Ryan Sprague and I will be speaking at AlienCon in Los Angeles, California. And you just might see Shane and Maureen there, too. We'll certainly mm-hmm. be talking much more about AlienCon as it gets closer. TheAlienCon.com is the event's website. That's where you should go to learn more about the event. And it's where you can grab tickets. All right. With announcements out of the way, let's get into this week's Project Blue Book discussion. So many, if not most of you, are probably familiar with this new TV show, but if you're not, this is the new dramatic series on history titled Project Blue Book, and it's named after the United States Air Force's official UFO study that ran from 1952 through 1969. The show is a fictional show based on this real study, and so we're up to three episodes now of Project Blue Book that have aired as of the date we're recording this episode. And the real cases explored by the show so far are the Gorman UFO dogfight of 1948, the Flatwoods monster of 1952, and today we're talking about the third case, the Lubbock Lights of 1951. Before we share our personal thoughts of Project Blue Book's take on the Lubbock Lights, Shane's going to give us a brief overview of the real case of the Lubbock Lights. So, Shane, go ahead and give it to us. All right. Yeah, it's one of my favorite cases. Love it, love it, love it. And glad to recap on it here. So, as we know, in August of 1951, um, there was a series of sightings over Lubbock, Texas, uh, during the month of August, uh, there were multiple sightings. And what's really cool is I, I think this is a lot like, you know, Stephenville lights or Phoenix lights with this many witnesses. Yeah. And even on the Pl- um, Project Blue Brook show, they kind of they had a scene in the classroom with all these people in there. And, uh, you know, Quinn was going to dismiss them thinking they they were just students left over from the class. But 
uh, Heineck asked them to raise their hands and bam, everyone did. So there, there was, you know, like a couple hundred people there, um, you know, that had sightings. So uh, as far as the actual project Blue Book goes, um, one of the things that they profiled, I thought that was very good, was the number of different witnesses and who they were. So the first group that was really interesting were three professors from Texas Tech College there, and they were hanging out in the backyard, and they were talking about meteorites and things like that, when all of a sudden they saw this massive formation of lights glide right over the top of them. And, you know, they looked at it with their kind of critical eye, uh, and they thought, you know, that that was really something. And, and in fact, they um, anticipated that they should see it again. And in fact, an hour later, the lights flew over again, and they were able to observe it. And so that was... Um, kind of an interesting group of folks. In fact, Ed Ruppel was uh, noted. He said that if a group had been handpicked to observe a UFO, we couldn't have picked a more technically qualified group of people. So that was pretty cool, I think. And then it goes on to talk about uh, different groups of people. There was a guy from the Atomic Energy Commission uh, nearby. He and his wife had observed it um, and, you know, talked talked to Project Blue Book about it. Uh, then there was another man and woman who this guy was, um, you know, he had been through some pretty tough stuff in the war and so forth. And when he made his report, he wanted to make sure that they understood that uh, as much as he had undergone in his life, this scared him as much as anything he had ever seen. So it really, you know, impacted him a great deal. And then, um, you know, aside from students and professors and, you know, different um, residents there, um, there was one guy from Texas Tech, and his name was Carl Hart. He was a young guy, a freshman, in fact, and he had seen the lights and anticipated seeing them later. And so he started carrying around with him his uh, Kodak 35 millimeter camera. And then one night, sure enough, um, the lights came back and he got uh, several photos of it. I think three the first time and then two more the second time. And those, so those are the famous images that, that we all see. And then through the uh, course of a few weeks, the newspaper got involved. The town was a store. You know, um, people were investigating it themselves. And then I think as we saw in the episode, one professor suggested it that these were birds and lights were reflecting off them. And that was the explanation. However, even... Um, Project Blue Book that kind of um, said, well, it was Rupelt himself. He said that um, I thought that the professor's lights might have been some kind of birds reflecting the light from the mercury vapor lights, but I was wrong. They weren't birds. They weren't refracted light. And they go on to have, you know, kind of a let that explanation go, even though Rupelt felt there was much more to it than that. So I thought that was pretty interesting, too. So, yeah, with that, you know, it was reported, widely reported locally and then even nationally around the world. And it's became, you know, considered one of the classic cases in ufology. Yeah, for sure. And I love these mass sightings cases. And this one was a fun one to see um, depicted on television. So let's talk about the show's portrayal of the Lubbock Lights and uh, what we sort of thought about that. So Maureen, what did you think uh, Project Blue Book's take on the Lubbock Lights? I thought it was very middle of the road, honestly. Like, it's all right. There, you know, there's there's a lot of meat to this case in the terms of a lot of people saw this. There is some 
photographic evidence. But other than that, there's not like a ton behind it. So it was interesting to see how they, they were able to like reenact the events and um, the theory. And it's kind of funny because, you know, uh, in terms of the plover explanation and the birds um, that was a part of the real case and a, and a part of this, it's, you know, you look at those photos and you're like, there's no way this is birds. However, birds are an explanation and have been mistaken for UFOs many times in the past, we know. So yeah. um, it's it's interesting to see it reflected in a case where you look at the f- photographic evidence and you say, I, you know, I really highly doubt that that is a flock of birds reflecting light right now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... I don't know. For some reason, I was a little bit more bored in this in this case um, in terms of, of watching it. But I, I also like how, you know, they're kind of building up this whole uh, animosity against what they're doing. And you have, you know, whatever is going on with the like sort of men in black type hat characters going on. And mm. then the neighborhood and this fear that's developing um publicly because it was a time where everyone was very on edge and scared. And so, yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't have a very strong opinion about this, this week's episode. Hmm. Shane, you said this is one of your favorite cases. what do you think of how project blue book portrayed it? Yeah, I think it was fine. I mean, um, you know, I'm also kind of watching this show um, not just simply in the context of, uh, what they did with it and how it compares to the case. I mean, mm-hmm. that's important, obviously, and we're discussing that. Um, but I'm also kind of just, you know, intrigued in the story. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of worried about Mimi <laughs> and what's <laughs> going on with her. Yeah. And what I did think, to, to Maureen's point, I think they did a good job in um, helping lay the foundation or the context for the fear um, with this whole business with the um, – nuclear threat with the Russians. And mm-hmm. so, you know, BB, uh, Mimi built the uh, the little bomb shelter thing and, um, you know, all the different characters like the people in the street. You could imagine, you know, that just everyone is on edge. They aren't in fear. And so when you interject something that's out of the norm, like seeing a UFO, I mean, I really, I think it comes all from the same place, the reaction that people had. And I think they did a good job kind of capturing that and laying that out because you know i'm old enough i lived through some of it i was born in 61 and when i was a kid in grade school we had to do the whole duck and cover drills where you get under your desk or line up in the hallway and crouch and cover your head thing well i mean that that was a profound reality for a lot of people and so with that backdrop i kind of you know i could identify with that and and it kind of made a little bit different impact on me from that perspective too yeah, I think that's funny, actually. The um, So I had commented on, um, I think it was History Canada posted a tiny clip from when Mimi's first going over to talk to her neighbor about this bombshell she's she's doing. And it has the world's smallest little fence that Mimi bends over <laughs> to open. And I said, I commented and said, hey, can we please talk about that tiny, how tiny that fence is and the actress that plays Mimi responded and she was like I thought the same thing while we were shooting it and I was like yeah 
that that was my my biggest mystery of that episode was like tiny why fence. is that tiny fence you could step <laughs> over it so easily it was so weird but yeah, yeah. Uh, laughing but yeah you definitely see that fear in her and she's alone now you know uh, he's gone all the time and so um, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's interesting to watch the cultural time frame of what was going on outside of the UFO field that was contributing mm-hmm. to yeah. what people are seeing. What do you think, Jason? You know, I I had fun with it, and like like Shane, you know, I'm I'm enjoying this as you know, just a, a UFO fan who's watching this as a UFO show, not necessarily a, from a historical perspective. Um, I think, you know, there's only so much you can do again with, with a UFO sighting case. Yes, a lot of people saw it, but then what else do you do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, although this didn't really necessarily happen at the same time, you know, they're showing some things that we have from other cases like vehicles and radios and stuff being affected by, you know, maybe electromagnetic interference and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So we're seeing some of that brought into this case, which wasn't really a part of this case. But something interesting, and I'm kind of confused. Maybe you guys can help me sort of sort this out with this case. It was funny how they brought the electricity aspect into it and the the, the power going out um, when mm-hmm. this thing was near because they had the power going out and this thing goes over, yet they still used the explanation of it was birds illuminated by the street lamps, which as we saw during the time this happened, the street lamps go out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and although that didn't funny. happen in the real case in the show, it was an odd choice. I think for them to do that because that right there negated or, or you know, debunked their own explanation because there was yeah. no light to, to reflect. But I think that's what they kind of wanted. You know, yes, they wanted to say that they're, that they knew this explanation was not, plausible okay i like Uh, that but but also i for i don't know why guys i think i'm losing my mind i totally forgot until you mentioned it about the whole um the truck accident and then um going into to having that happen because it's it's almost like they're they're trying to also have the same sort of storyline for Quinn that is jail and Hynek's real life of this discovery of like, whoa, something weird is happening. Yeah. And like, you can see his discomfort of what happened to me in that car. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Kind of, kind of strange. And I thought what was weird too, is their choice. um, You know, this is just an artistic uh, feature, but their choice of, um, to how to damage those vehicles. I mean, I've never seen that anywhere. You know, ho- hopefully we're not spoiling it for some, but you know what I'm saying? The wrinkly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'd never seen anything like that. I just thought that was such an unusual choice. Absolutely. And that's what they wanted. That's what they were going for. So if you listen to the most recent episode of um, Sci Fi Wire's Project Blue Book podcast, they mm-hmm. specifically discuss that. And talk about uh, how when they were, you know, coming up with this, you know, truck accident, um, they wanted something that looked, you know, completely alien, something that you would obviously, there's no way anything we know of could cause something, ca- cause a vehicle to look like that. They were really searching for something that just looked bizarre. So yeah. they had that in mind for whatever reason. That's that's one of the artistic things that uh, they were, it was a sticking point. And I thought it was cool. I mean, you see it, you're all, whoa, that's yeah. crazy. And, you know, maybe this whole um, 
there's some intent maybe to keep things slightly ambiguous when it comes to like, you know, including the, the a power outage and the electrical effects and, you know, all these things like th- with this case you were suggesting, Marine, is it, you know, they know, they know likely that wasn't the explanation um, and, but they don't have one. And so they were just throwing several things out there to maybe indicate to the audience that this is kind of the nature of, of blue book. And some of the things that have to happen is he, even as a move, on investigator, you get to a point where it's uh, really all you can say is it either was definitely not these things, or if you say it is a certain thing, even that is kind of subject to the fact that you weren't there and you didn't see it. I mean, it's the most plausible explanation, but it doesn't mean that's what it was. So, I mean, just by its own nature, it's very ambiguous as what the cause and effects are of these things. Yeah, and I I think, too, it's what they're doing throughout this series is they're taking little bits and pieces of what is known as trace evidence at these cases over, like, the whole, um, this is what people are experiencing during UFO sightings, or this has been reported in a billion cases. So they're kind of, like, bringing in those little bits of evidence to give a greater picture of the phenomena as a whole, possibly. Uh, That's just my guess yeah Yeah, i think you're right and to make it more exciting because let's be honest like if we just were like oh they saw these lights and here's a picture (laughs) it's like yeah (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) well just a reminder that history provides information about the real cases they use for inspiration in project blue book right on the network's website they show this info immediately following the episodes when they are on tv but If you're interested in hearing even more, I recommend visiting History's website and watching the short videos they produced that feature UFO historian Richard Dolan and the lauded UFO researcher Jacques Vallée. Have you guys watched any of those videos? No, I I haven't seen that. Yeah, they're really cool. They're right on History's website. And yeah, Rich and, and Jacques, you know, sort of, they're very, very short videos, you know, just a couple minutes. But they just kind of comment uh, and give a, a brief overview, like we do on this show, um, of the actual case. And it's kind of cool coming from Rich Dolan and Jacques Ballet. So oh, that's awesome. So I check, check those out. out. Absolutely. So the fourth episode of Project Blue Book airs on January 29th. And that episode centers on Operation Paperclip. We'll see what they do with that one. Um, this should be interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. I mean, as a space geek, I'm, I'm excited, but also kind of nervous to see what yes. they're going to do with Operation Paperclip. So we'll see what happens. That's January 29th. If you've missed any of Project Blue Book episodes, um, you can, I believe you can catch full episodes on History's website at history.com. Also on their YouTube. Yes, on their YouTube as well. Well, citizens, as we wrap up this episode, we invite you to come join us in the Rogue Planet Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Rogue Planet. And let us know what you thought of the third episode of Project Blue Book or anything else UFO related that's on your mind. You can find more episodes of Unknown on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, YouTube, you know, all the podcast places. Big thanks to our talented friend and fellow Rogue Planeteer, Caleb Hanks, for the show's intro and outro music. Of course, you can always find this show at RoguePlanet.tv, because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all things strange. It's also where you can get your own Unknown t-shirt from the Rogue Planet store. Just go to store.RoguePlanet.tv. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Maureen Ellsbury. And I'm Shane Hurd. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. Stay strange.